evening and welcome to the broadcast. My name is Benny Mack and we are live on Talkback with Thane and Sophia. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, it looks like Thane and Sophia can't join us tonight. Uh, but never fear, uh, we'll be bringing you uh, the broadcast irregardless. I'm just going to switch over the graphics to, to the Talkback with Thane and Sophia page. Welcome everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, for coming onto the broadcast. How's everybody's day going? What's happening in your neck of the woods? Um, this show is a two-hour broadcast. It's a freaking marathon broadcast. That's for dang sure. And uh, the first part is, uh, well, it's generally interview-based, and that's what we we got. We've got some incredible guests coming up on tonight's show. And so... Uh, so stick around for that. Uh, and in the second hour, we open up the talkback lines. Uh, you can call in, have your opinion, uh, talk about topics of conversation that are important to you and uh, and all those kinds of incredible things. Uh, we've got Selena here, our producer as well. She's going to come through and have a bit of a yarn and uh, – and also all those sorts of good things. So if you want to find out a little bit more information about what the show is all about, uh, you can head over to our website, talkback.co.nz. That's got a sort of an overview of uh, all the bits and pieces that anyone could possibly want to find out about the show. And, um, and if you want to call in on the show, we'll actually put a link in the chat and you'll be able to copy that uh and when you do try and call through to the show it'll be important that you use a chrome browser otherwise you're going to have all sorts of uh all sorts of dilemmas that you're going to try and need to finagle uh as i'm trying to do now i've got the green screen here it doesn't seem to be uh completely working unfortunately i'll give it one more attempt and see how we go but it looks as if uh Something to do with the processor speed. It's sort of a little bit, <laughs> it feels like it's a little bit janky at my end, but we'll stick with it uh, just for a little bit and see how we get on. And um, yeah, we've got we've got Matt Liggins on the show tonight. Uh, he is currently backstage. We'll bring him through very shortly and we'll start breaking it down what he's been doing. I know he's got some pretty uh, innovative uh, concepts that he's been working on, um, not only in the past, but working on them through into the future. And then after uh, 10 p.m., it's Kiwis Against Seabed Mining, chasm.org.nz, uh, k-a-s-m.org.nz. Uh, and if you're interested in... Um, Matt Liggins, that's mattliggins.com. So exciting times indeed. Uh, there's a few different segments uh, towards the second part of the show. If you've got any items, any high-value items uh, sitting around uh, in your garage, maybe in your carport, in your garden shed, or maybe you're taking up too much damned room um, in a spare room, why not donate that high-value item to the show? We'll take care of uh, receiving all that money, and, um, and and you can promote the item on the show, and who knows, you might even uh, get more than you were bargaining for. So it's pretty extraordinary. Um, last night's show was our political roundup that we do every week 
on a Wednesday with Bomber Bradbury. And I tell you, a lot of information was shared on last night's show. Feel free to go and review any of the shows because they're all over the dang internet. Uh, so if you want to watch the video show, you can actually uh, search Talk Back with Thane and Sophia on YouTube. And there's a YouTube channel with all the past shows there, all archived. Uh, and then there's also other options like Spotify that Selena has been working on. The audio version is available there. I'm not sure if we're putting the video version up over there or not, but um, Selena will be able to catch us up to date with all those sorts of things. Uh, the Facebook page as well. Again, talk back with Thane and Sophia. So you can watch it on Facebook and uh that's a brilliant thing. Okay, let's just have a look-see here. Shout out to everyone watching across the internet. We've got people watching over on Twitch, on DLive, on Facebook, YouTube, and and that, that looks like about it. So uh, I think without further ado, we should sort of crack into our first interview of the show. We'll just check with our production stuff. What are we thinking? Good to go. All right. So we've got a... Uh, a very special guest to to bring on. Just let me just queue up this graphic here. Bring him on through. We've got a very special guest to introduce to you. All right, Matt, how you going, buddy? I'm great, man. I'm, uh, I wish I had some uh, sunnies like yours. I feel... A little bit naked. Yeah. <laughs> oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. I tell you, I've got a um, a big-ass freaking ring light right in my dial over here, and these things work wonders. It sort of just knocks back all that sort of glare, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, good, thro- good throwback to the 80s, and then uh, those OP blades. I had, a, I had a pair when I was a kid in Tokumaru. Uh, I used to I used to jump on my mountain bike and go down hills as fast as I could go, and my eyes wouldn't water. So yeah, they they're pretty yeah. good those things, aren't they? The full on wraparounds, yeah, that's what you want. Now, um, where did you grow up? Oh yeah, I grew up in a town that most people don't know, um, called Tokomaru. Um, okay. Whenever whenever I say I grew up in Tokomaru, everyone goes Tokomaru Bay, and I'm like, nah, um, <laughs> Tokomaru Inland, um, pretty much. Uh, just south of Palmy, one of the great towns of New Zealand. Um, grew up on a dairy farm, um, you know, used to run around catching eels and riding motorbikes yeah. and, you know, that, that's that, that simple living. Yeah, so sort of um, lower central North Island sort of scenario. Um, oh, good. So what kind of farm was it? Was it a, a, the classic dairy farm or, or what, what did you guys have going on on there? It was your classic dairy farm, herringbone shed. Um, yeah. You know, um, you know, two hundred Frisians running around, one bull that gets to have all the fun. Um, you know, eels and trout <laughs> down in the Tukumaro River that went through the back of our farm. So yeah, spent spent a lot of time swimming and you know um, catching cockerbillies with my cousins. You know, just that cliche farm life. You know, my sister had a horse called Speedy that used to. Um, you know, take off when I used to try to get the cows in. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was pretty. It was good, man. Apart from the wind, and yep. uh, apart from the the clouds that like to hug the ranges there. 
<laughs> what about um, like you know uh, running around the farm with like like guns, like little um, slug guns and twenty twos and all those sorts of fun things? What's the Gun life. My dad was wasn't a wasn't a war hunger. He wasn't a um, Republican. Oh um, so no, he he didn't actually have a have a gun on the farm. But we had a share milk with Dave Hellier. Shout out to Dave. Um, I don't know where he is. Anyway, um, <laughs> we used to do rabbit rabbit shooting on the back of the Ute. So I think my job Very was sure. to hold hold the, hold the spotlight. Um, but yeah, slug guns. My mate Mark Heavey. I don't know if he's here, but we we used to put slug guns. Uh, get get blue tech, put it in slug guns, and we'd run around with sunglasses on and try to shoot each other around the house. <laughs> yeah. Up. Well, that's it. Um, I've got fond memories of um, we had these little guns. They were actually called a Gat gun. It was basically like um, it would take the little one seven seven mil lead um, slugs, and it was actually in the form of a small handheld pistol, and the um, barrel would actually retract out so you'd have to compress the barrel and it would hold on a spring you'd unscrew a little uh, firing pin on the back place the letter there and then you'd have this loaded little pistol uh, that you'd then proceed to run and chase your friends around as they wore a life jacket and try not to take out that's their it. eyes yeah. that's it eh? before laser strike and, um, and that's why you need those achy blades eh? to protect those eyes exactly <laughs> exactly and uh, we're actually lucky enough to introduce uh, to interview um, the founder of Fortune Eyewear. So I was fortunate enough to have a, a pair of shades sort of donated. So these are actually uh, Dono uh, sponsor shades. And um, hook me up, bro. Hook, hook, me, hook, hook me up. I'm, I'm so I can uh, go around shooting people this summer. I'm up for Is it. Is that the sort of style that you'd be interested in? Oh, dude, I don't really have a style, to be honest with you. Style is dangerous in, in the design world. You just do what do what feels right, and um, you never think about style. The moment you start thinking about style with with design, you're probably going wrong. You know, okay, well, that's, a, start with, with that's a pretty interesting uh, thing you brought up there. So you, you, you from, from growing up on a farm and um, swimming in these fresh water streams and catching mm. trout and eels. Not, not fresh anymore, man. I'll tell you what, all those dairy farmers, they've, they've got something to ask for. It's not fresh no more, but anyway... Yeah, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I guess seeing the way that the environment's changing, um, I guess how did that in a way contribute to the work that you've um, continued and led on to do over the time since? Uh, I guess, I guess um, you know, sustainability has been a massive, a massive um, problem, um, global warming and, and how we pollute the environment, um, yeah. you know, um, through dairy, um through cars, um, yeah. So my dad is a, you know, we're a, we're a fourth generation dairy farmer, and my dad, um, you know, he's not a big fan of of um, of what the dairy industry has done to right. um, to the land and, and whatnot. Um, I guess it makes me more um, conscious about what 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 I do um, as an as a as an architect. Well, I'm not actually an architect; I'm an architectural designer. Um, but yeah, as as someone who specifies materials to be composed and the composition to be built, um, you know, we all we all um, are guilty of 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 um, of doing things that aren't probably right, or sometimes you don't know um, in that. But yeah, I think more and more um, you're more aware of what you're putting putting out there, and you're responsible 
um, you know, to to try to to lead other people into thinking how to live um, a more homogeneous life um, on the planet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of excess. For a while there, it seemed to be all the rage. Um, the cars were getting bigger and mm. bigger. So were the houses and so were the uh, the mortgages, weren't they, and all the, the repayments and everything that came with it. Um, oh, it's, it's out of control. I think I think um, we've reached a point now where the, the middle class can't even buy a house and you just think, what's happened? Um, you know, we don't need... We don't need houses bigger than 150 squares. Mm. We don't need all this crap that's stuck to it that, you know, we can't afford. Um, yep. Yeah. So I think the, the, the tiny home movement that we're going through at the moment is fantastic. I just think that, you know, um, concrete, we know how bad concrete is to to um, uh, to to specify all the time. Um, steel mm-hmm. as well, you know. The yep. you know, re- renewable resources timber. We've got you know beautiful country. We've got lots of land. Um, obviously, we need more more forestry, um, and we don't Absolutely. need to sell all that stuff to China and then buy it back again. Interesting, yeah. you make those points. Um, I just noticed. Um, I saw an article recently of um, America. In America, they're building a beautiful wooden uh, high rise building. With yep. wooden uh, structural beams, they're moving away from steel and concrete yep. um, due to those issues that you mentioned, and, and a huge component of it is due to the supply chain issues coming out of China at the moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, tim- yeah, timber. Um, you know, there's lots of great technology with timber at the moment. Um, you could you could check out Sky On Building by um, um, uh, Irving um, Smith Architects and RTA, which is – um, a lot of CLT um, floor slabs, which is cross-laminated timber, which is mm. basically stacked up like this, yeah. um, and diagrid structures to hold it up. Um, so, yeah, I think the future is definitely timber. It's it's renewable. Um, you know, we have to we have to think about our future, and you know, it's going to be too late. And you know, so it's important that we start to you know um, design more with timber when we can. Just need to bring the cost down. Yeah, yeah. Now that's the sort of the limiting factor. Um, I mean, the Amish used to have it pretty amazingly done um, all these years ago. I've actually got a, a colleague of mine who had a, um, and I think it was maybe a two hundred something year old barn actually uh, dismantled, placed into shipping containers, flown to the world, and then reassembled uh, in West Auckland by uh, the Amish guys themselves. You know, wow. <laughs> know what they're doing. Yeah, and it's just a completely different uh, construction style because they actually didn't use steel pins and nails and things like that. Um, so, I mean, yeah. material choice is a huge uh, impact on the finished product, and, um, and impacts are pretty – pretty good word now you you created some small living spaces out of some recycled materials didn't you um yeah or, yeah living spaces yeah to a degree they're living spaces i've done a, a few different crossover projects between um architecture and art and um it's something that i've been really interested in since being back in new zealand um one of them uh one of them is is the the plastic bag house which was yeah. a yeah, which was a, a project I did for Art Week. Um, it was right at the time when um, the government was cracking down on single-use plastic bags. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Collected a lot and um, thought, what I can, what can I do with them? Yeah. And I just, yeah, I created this stained glass sort of um, window effect by colour sorting all the plastic bags, putting it into this framework of a small oh. tiny home. And then okay. uh, lighting it up from the inside so it would glow like a lantern and then still having enough light that could come through so it could work with the sun. So, yeah, yeah. just thinking about um, what what are we throwing away that could be reused. I honestly think that we, we, we're, we're a bit – we take the easy option. We'll just chuck it in the skip bin and end up in landfill oh, yeah. or, you know, but there's been some amazing buildings around the world, Ningbo um, Museum by Amateur Architects, which is taking old recycled buildings, you know, masonry buildings, concrete, brick, tile, and then putting it back into formwork and then laying it up. Um, so, yeah, I think I think we just take the easy option in New Zealand. Um, and, um, yeah, we don't like change. We might act like we like change in this country, but, you know, we're pretty much stuck in, stuck in the 60s or 70s or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I think... I think we're not risk adverse. We don't like to take risks in our country, you know. Um, right. We like we like we like to feel comfortable. But um, yeah, I think if we are going to push things, you need to take risks. So you you've got to expect failure, and that's part of the process. You're never ever going to get it right. But I think we could be definitely more experimental with what we build, the materials we use, how we compose them together. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> Now, it's kind of interesting you say that about how, how you go about composing materials together. Um, what was the process for making these um, plastic um, sheets? Was it Were they melted? Were they sandwiched? Um, what was the process there? Yeah, well, when I, when I first – so basically I built this – you can look it on my website. I built this little A-frame house. The frame's all out of 32 more ply. The reason for doing that is because plywood sheets can be cut in a CNC machine into any shape you want, and it's really accurate, yeah. very, very fast. So, you know, I bought loads of 32 more ply, got my mate Scott Payne to cut it all up. Um, and then and the, inside the framework, I put plastic bags, and that was sandwiched between two layers of 8 mil twin mil polycarb, which would yep. act as a rain screen and a lining to hold them in. Um yep. And I had no idea if it would work. You know, I experiment. And I, at first I just chucked them in like this and then put a torch through, whatever. Um, it was it was too thick. And then I worked out you just need one bag. So I basically got the bags, cut them, and then wrapped them and then stapled them inside the framing um, um, so there'd be one layer. Um, and then, yeah, sort of sorted them out uh, into an arrangement to create this different, different lighting effect. So, yeah, it's always just um, – you never know what you're going to do in design. You've got to try it out. Um, yeah. You can't just say, oh, this is it. I'm going to do it, and it works. You just give it a go. If it, if it works, good. If it doesn't work, just change it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean, um, I, I sometimes find myself scrolling through um, Facebooks, and you sort of see these unconventional sort of recycling practices that they might be using in some developing nations where it's almost like a matter of just throwing any available plastic you've got into some sort of a, a churn, um, trying to stand away from the noxious gas, and it sort of produces <laughs> this sort of uh, whatever it may be. But, I mean, there's people out there trying to make um, building bricks out of plastic, yeah. and um, so there's all different things happening. And now I've um, – 
seen that this guy built a hempcrete house or mm. a building uh, out of these hemp blocks, which are like uh, larger than traditional cinder blocks, and they've got an interconnecting uh, uh, properties to them where they can stack them much like Lego blocks. Uh, put spikes, I think, between them to lock them in, much like rebar. And then they've got their conduit um, channels already pre-drilled for wiring and things like that. So they're lighter than concrete, uh, cheaper than concrete, uh, and they've got better thermal properties than concrete. Yeah, and it's naturally growing, and it, and it can biodegrade as well. Um, one of my thesis students a few years ago, uh, Gus Carson, um, he did a thesis on um, using uh, mycelium um, as a bonding agent to build um, uh, building products. Now that's um, um, that's mushroom, isn't it? Yeah, it's a mushroom sort of substrate that that um, that, that binds them together. So yeah, he he did experiments um, using mycelium with um, sawdust and other waste products to build yeah. um, building products um, that can also. Um, uh, super strong. Um, so mycelium yep. was used in, in in the in the dark ages of carrying around fire. So it's fire resistant. Um, yeah. And also, um, it's super strong. It's fire resistant. It's got good acoustic properties, but it's also biodegradable as well. So yeah, the the idea awesome. the idea that you could have have a temporary space that can also go back down into the ground. So, yeah, and it, and it binds with waste material, so you can throw anything into it that it will bind to. So it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, I think it's just, you know, the tip of the iceberg of, of, of what can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, not um, not too long ago, I actually um, I, I built my buddy's son a little playhouse. And, um, you know, it started off as, as being a treehouse, and then um, a, a, a platform was produced. A two by two meter square platform was produced. So all of a sudden, it's got pretty big. Um, so we had a bunch of uh, pallets there, and I and I built him this. Um, uh, it was a mono pitch uh, tiny house sort of uh, structure, and it has a really cool sort of. Um, Prohibition era sort of Western sort of vibe to it, you know, with all the the wood overlapping each other like weatherboards, you know. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and it's quite fun. I used um, SketchUp, which is a free sort of three D um, design program uh, to sort of get my measurements right uh, aesthetically before I started building it itself. And is that sort of similar? way that you guys work? I mean, at what point do you consider mm. the design and what materials sort of match up or is it like they want to use these materials and this will work or is it a sort of a – maybe you can uh, talk us through it. Yeah. Well, like I think the process of building something can start anywhere, um, especially artworks can start anywhere, normally with a frustration or, or something you want to say. Um, but with yeah. architecture, obviously it, it has a site. Um, it has a client with a budget, has their preferences. So a lot yeah. of stuff is dictated already from the get-go, um, all depending on on how they engage you, whether they come to you wanting your work um, and the way you work um, and giving you full freedom to do it and 
um, or they come and, and, and work as a collaboration with you um, to get something they want. Um, and, it, and, it, and, yeah, so uh, it can start with them saying, hey, look at this, I like this sort of thing, or I, like, I don't know what I like, can you show me something? Um, yeah. So, yeah, with, with architecture, um, you know, there's, there's definitely less freedoms with art, um, but still there's a lot of constraints and you can push against them, um, and, and it's, it's more of a challenge. Um, yeah. And that. But yeah, regarding the process, um, I'm a drawer. Um, I I love painting. I like making things with my hands. Yeah. I, I see the computer as a tool to use to, um, to quickly um, make things, um, you know, with CAD. Um, and then, but I, I do like to try to design before that, get into the CAD when you've got the, the, um, the survey plan and then, yep. and then pull it all together, um, on CAD. SketchUp's great. I think, I think that's fine. I'm an Archie CAD kid. I've used it since I was at uni, um, or Vectorworks, but I just right. use it, I just use it sort of, um, to, to what I can do. I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a CAD wizard i don't i'm not interested in knowing everything about cat i use it basically to 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 do what i want to do um yep. and you make a model then you cut it up you do your drawings and then you add in all the structural information and and make sure it's weather type yeah cool 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 now i mean weather type's a huge one a few years ago we had the old bloody leaky home let's not get into that i think we all know what sort of uh, on some level happened there, the homes leaked. Uh, and, of course, that's a huge um, – that's something huge that you want to avoid at all costs. Um, now, when it comes to inspiration and giving examples, um, do you find yourself uh, or, in fact, your clients sort of using your own um, – some of your own past builds and designs as reference points? Uh, yeah, I think I think I think they do. I've had a few clients go to me. I like what you did at this house. I want something mm. similar. Um, but sometimes, you know, um, you know, you get sick of doing the same thing twice. You know, it borders on insanity if you have to do the same things twice all the time, three yep. times, four times. But yep. there's lots of architects that are prescriptive. There's lots of architects that like to repeat the same formulaic mm. building. For me, yeah. um, life's too short. Okay, I've done it. Yeah. Move on. Try something else. Um, you know, um, I I do I definitely have more freedom in my art projects, the pyramid, classic bag house, Vitruvian tunnel, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, for for me, um, the freedom that they give me, um, it, it excites me. Um, but you know, but architecture too, it, it has the different um challenges um to to work out. So. Um, you know, I, I, I worked for an architect in Sydney, Renato Dottori Architects, for four years, learned the trade, learned how to detail a nice high-end house. Mm-hmm. And then after after doing that, um, you know, at the start when I started working for Renato, I thought I want to be a high, high-end res architect. I just want to do nice big houses with, with you know, good budgets, da-da-da. And then after a while I thought, shit, okay, I'm kind of repeating myself. The, the modernist house um, has its limitations uh, the brief normally has its limitations, and um, and I thought, oh man, I I, I want to try other things, and and uh, it's a, I've got a little bit of a story here. So next to Renato, a painter moved in, um, Michael Johnson, um, and um, and 
I came back from, from holidays in New Zealand for Christmas, came back, my sister bought me this book, Art and Life, and um, by Brett Whiteley. And, and in the foreword of that book, it's, it had an introduction by um, Michael Johnson. And, um, and then this guy moved into our, next to our office in Sydney, and his name was Johnson on the door. Just could smell this oil paint. And I was like, oh, shit, you're not, you're not Michael Johnson, are you? And I saw him one day in the hallway and said, hey, you're not Michael Johnson, are you? Brett Whiteley's best friend. He goes, yeah, I am. And anyway, we became good mates. Um, he worked next door as a painter. And then I used to go in there at lunchtime and and um, and have great yarns with him about life, work, and um, and coming from a special architectural office to go into a painter's office, I was like, oh, my God, Jesus, what am I doing with my time and, and effort? And anyway, um, I just did my first house with my friend Lee, uh, Linton House on my website, and I was thinking, shit, I, I could go on my own and I could do more art projects because I used to paint when I was younger. And um, and I ended up leaving at Bernardo's getting a, another little house for someone. And um, and I spent the summer painting in my in my in my backyard in, in Waterloo. And um, I got a show at a gallery, um, exhibited all uh, a lot of works. And it, for me, it was just um, it was enlightenment. I was like, oh my god, this is freedom, and it's so quick. Um, doing a house takes a lot of time, um, and there's so many people involved: councils, clients. Uh, consultants, budgets, etc. Um, but yeah, um, for me, um, yeah, for me, that was a, a crazy summer, 2012, and it was just a change in my thinking about my practice, what I wanted to do, how I wanted to spend my time. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, these are some of the houses um, I've done. This is the Linton residence for my mate Lee. Um, and uh, he bought a section, had an old house on it. We took that off and built this house here. And we built it for for basically sort of two grand a square metre back then, 2011. Very simple house. Wow. Just glass looking out to a valley. Um, you know, nothing flash, but just simple and easy to back build. When, um, back when a dollar uh, could actually buy a, a little bit of wood. Um, nowadays, terial prices have, have gone absolutely haywire by the sounds of it. Um, we're hearing reports from America that lumber prices have shot up 30% within the last, I think it's 18 months or something. Yeah. Um, and and uh, everything's sort of everything's sort of crunching up at the moment, isn't it? Um, how are you finding that's impacting on um, budgets and scale of projects oh, yeah. that you're involved in? Oh, totally. Um, I, I, I was affected by that um, in in 2009 um, when I did a house for my mate Sam and Kathy, and the prices went up in a year, almost 10% in a year. Um, and at the moment, prices are escalating again. Um, uh, I, I, um, I'm doing a house in Lower Hutt for my old art teacher, and um, and just 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 in the last year, prices have jumped up a lot. Um, just just yeah, I, I think you just got to get a QS, um, a quantity survey involved straight away um, on your concept, and then building consent, and, um, and just to keep an eye on things because yeah, it's going crazy out there, and um, makes it really hard to. Um, foresee what you can do with your budget. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, 
it's crazy. I uh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know when it'll stop. Um, but yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy at the moment to um, predict these things. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a big part of it. Uh, uh, from what I hear, a big part of the job is sort of being able to um, basically like read the future. Like six months down the line, you're going to be needing to think, okay, so what am I doing in six months and what am I going to need because I'm going to need to order that today, where in the past maybe mm-hmm. you could have like a week or two turnaround on getting anything you wanted. Oh, totally. It's um, it's it's just added pressure. Um, that you don't want, and, you know, even the consenting process is um, compared to Australia for getting a building consent here is, is so much more involved over here. They just want to tick the box on everything. They don't want any liability. And Aussie, they had private certifiers. So it was a lot easier and quicker to get consent. Um, you yeah. didn't have to tell a builder to suck eggs and do every single detailed drawing um, in that, but since Leaky Homes, you know, obviously everyone's tightened up since you know mm. 2011, um, and no one wants liability. So, you know, obviously, yeah, you yeah, draw everything, um, council approves it, and the builder um, builds it to plan. Mm. But yeah, it's um, it's it's a stressful it's a stressful um, profession. Like being an architect yeah. is, you know, everyone wants to be an architect as a kid, and everyone's like, hey, um, I love it, and that, and. But, yeah, um, I teach at architecture school. Um, I teach part-time. And, um, and it, you know, teaching was a decision for me to, to, to sort of balance out my whole lifestyle. I was sick of sitting in front of a computer for 40 hours a week yeah. um, doing CAD. I'd done that for 10 yeah. years. RSI in both my wrists. I used to go to work and paint. Yeah. And there's nothing you could do. You can't say to your boss, oh, yeah, yeah, just let me off the CAD today. I'll, I'll do some uh-huh. drawings with you. Um, and so, you know, I came to a, uh, an idea that, hey, I, I'd, I'd like to teach part-time, to get away from a computer, also yeah. take the take the pressure off having to get another house and get income coming in and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, just broaden my horizons. You know, being a sole practitioner, you're, you're stuck in a small circle, you know, and then and the university job has let me meet so many amazing people um, and opportunities, um, and and it gives you security. You, you know, it, it pays absolutely. You. Now, um, you sort of mentioned that everyone wants to be an architect when they're young. I used to do um, technical drawing. I guess you're from that sort of generation, that generation A, eh, where it was tech drawing and all that yeah. sort of thing. With you actually using paper, uh, pencils, rulers. Uh, That's it. What were these sort of 90 de- – what are they called? Uh, set squares. Set squares. Set squares. Uh, set protractor, squares. Does, yeah, protractor does angles. Set squares are 90 degrees or a 45 or, a, a, you know, yeah. a, um, a, um, a bleak or an isometric. Um, but, yeah, I'm old, yeah, I'm old, dude. I'm 44. Um, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. I well, don't know how old you are. Yeah, I'm almost 40. And, um, yeah, isometric, oblique uh, – it's the way that we sort of see things. And it's kind of cool how you can draw things at these different, um, almost like you've put a different lens on the camera or you're looking at it from a slightly different angle. Eh? So some of them are drawn, um, so you've got your front on and your side on and then you're looking at it from like yeah, a three-quarter angle and it kind yeah. of starts looking like a diamond, doesn't it? It sort of That's comes it. up at you. 
Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. So straight on is called orthogonal. Um, I don't want to sound like your TD teacher, but um, straight on is orthogonal. <laughs> um, isometric is at an angle, and you can have a um, you can have a uh, uh, sorry an axonometric is at an angle. Um, I've had too many Baileys. Um, uh, isometric <laughs> is at thirty degrees, and the oblique is at forty-five. But yeah, man, I'm a TD kid. Like I did tech drawing from third form. Um, yeah. I absolutely loved it. You know, you sat there and got to draw for like an hour. Uh, yeah. you get a little drawing board, a set square, T square, set squares, and and you just do little things. And yeah. um, I loved it. I loved it. And um, and uh, that's one reason that I wanted to be an architect. I guess it's because of that hands-on tactility of yeah. getting a nice piece of paper, putting on the bulldog clips. Yeah. And then and then drawing your nice lines in two H, and then drawing over the top in a yes. in a HB and a bit of shading. Mm. Um, but times have changed. You're like architects since computing. Architects is is just using CAD. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. it makes it a lot faster, but it sort of takes out um, that sort of uh, not the soul, but it just sort of like the, the I guess the. Not the maybe the care and on a level on a level because you just get very uh, you get very zoned into it and very uh, like if you've saved an item on the computer you don't really give a fuck you're like okay it's there it's saved but if you're doing it out of paper with pencils it's like don't come over here and put your hand on my <laughs> bloody paper it's a of, it's, a, it's a work of art like um, yeah. You know, it is a work of art, and it's tactile. And it's tactile. Same with making a physical model by hand, and and not getting mm-hmm. it CNC, not getting it laser cut or three D printed. You know, we never had yeah. that shit when I was a student many moons ago. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess is, is it is it an is it an art office? Is it a studio, or yeah. is it an is it an office where all you hear is click? Click. Yeah, yeah, click. yeah. Oh, I've got to exactly. do a straight line. I've got to hold down shift. And yeah. and and the thing is, because it takes so long, it's not immediate. Um, yeah. And, and drawings immediate. It has mistakes. You don't make mistakes in CAD. Like uh, there's yeah. something beautiful about drawing. Have a look at Carlos Scarpa's drawings. Um, you know, there's something beautiful um, uh, and immediate with drawing. And mm-hmm. I try to tell my students to draw. And yeah, and, and and just draw more, draw, draw. Um, I got and, sketchbooks and, also, and sketchbooks full of shit just because. Yeah, I, I love, I, I love drawing shit fast. Out. I love drawing fast, um, and not worrying about if the shapes are wrong or if it looks kind of crazy. But if you can sort of see it on the page, saying to take shape, then great. Put that page there. Sketch out an an even tighter one or one that you 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 know go through multiple evolutions. And you'll find yourself somewhere really quick. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about that was wrong. Like when you do a drawing, it's just a drawing. It, if you if you don't compare it to being right or wrong, it's just a drawing. And yeah. if you take away that from your psyche, you'll enjoy it more and you won't be so hard on yourself saying, fuck, look at this guy next to me. Look what he did. He's so good, I'm going to give up. And and that's that's probably the problem. It becomes too competitive, and you should do it because you love it. And who gives a fuck about what that person next to you says? It doesn't matter what that guy says. Yeah. And it's actually quite interesting because when you were discussing before about you'd spend a whole hour drawing, um, 
it kind of gave us um, less artistic and more technical-minded people a chance to actually uh, create things on paper that looked good. And anyone could do it. It's kind of like, um, what do they say? Like, you know, it's, it's one of those things that anyone can potentially do um, if they learn the technique uh, how to do it. Whereas... Um, and I think it's easier to pick up too than actual sort of like portraiture drawing or oil painting or some of these because you've actually got uh, tools yeah. and um, I mean I guess you can measure <laughs> with a ruler how you're going to paint a, a picture um, but it just seems very calculated and sciencey. Yeah, that well geometry is the underlying. Um you know, system that you're working with when you draw, um, and there's there's proven ways to draw things with a compass in a set square, um, and yeah, those rules can kind of guide you along the way, and that's the kind of link between geometry and mathematics. Is as you can see, there's a clear link between formulas and ways to do things, but mm. regarding the organic or parametric or doing a portraiture. It's another kettle of fish, right? You're dealing with yeah. free, free form and you're dealing with perspective and you're dealing with um, a curve that's bending in two directions. Um, yeah. And, and, yeah, and, you know, some architects buzz on that. You know, there's Aha Hadid, you know, one of the best um, um, architects doing amazing um, spaces that just dissolve around. Um, and so, yeah, um, Whatever I think, I think that the most important thing I think for people these days is to follow your heart and do what and do what you love. Like there's so many people um, that get lost along the way and they'll either give up because um, whatever reason. But the, the key is, and I try to teach my students this: is find your thing. You know, yeah, that's what they do. Okay, that's what that's what that architect does. That's what that artist does. What do you do? And and fuck it. And hopefully that comes when you're younger. Sometimes it, it won't. But you know, find yeah. your thing, and don't you know give a fuck I've... about what that person says because that person doesn't matter. It's what you you care about yourself. Yeah, and um, well, I mean, what I've found is um, as we get older, um, the things that we do and the things that we think are important change. But then you get to a point where you look back and you and you realize that some of the things that you're doing when you were younger, uh, even in your youth and at school, um, were actually some quite significant, cool, interesting things. And then getting back into them can be really rewarding, uh, much like um, when I occasionally um, tinker around with SketchUp or picking up like an old sport that I used to really enjoy and then thinking, oh, shit, I'm, I'm still pretty good at, at both of these things. Yeah, I think I think the more you do something, the better you get. And, you know, whether, whether you're getting rewired or whatever, um, every time you do something or you just realise that, hey, I've done this before and it didn't work, I'll take a shortcut. Um, you know, they say do 10,000 hours, you become a master. Um, but, you know... Um, yeah, it's um, it's finding your passion, you know, you know whatever yeah. it is. Like you, you find that most people excel because they love things, and it's not a chore. Um, I've never liked the idea. You go to work, and and it's Monday, and it's nine o'clock, and then you finish at five, and you're going to go to work for the next four more days, 
and then it's the weekend and then you go back to work. Um, yeah. That whole idea for me, um, I did it. I did it for 10, 11 years and I thought, fuck, it's not me. Um, you know, I, I, try to, I try to just um, um, dissolve those boundaries, exist, do what I love. I'm not going to be here forever. What can I, how can, what, 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 what do I want to do that's original, that can leave a mark, that I haven't seen before? Um, how can I comment on certain things and, and portray them in a built installation that people can ex- get? They can, yeah. they, they, can, they can easily understand. It doesn't go over their head. Um, how can I relate to the biggest percentile of people um, and portray things that maybe they haven't seen before? You know, show my version of the truth, or you know, I might be wrong, but who knows? But yeah, um, that's why these art projects I've been doing um, for me um, have been the most rewarding, um, and it's and it's scary. Like, I take a risk every time I do a project. It could fuck. Everyone could say fuck. That was shit, Matt. Your last project was crap, but at least, at least I tried. At least I, I. Um, yeah, that's it. You've just got to get out there, make it happen, and um, there's a lot to be said for um, there's a lot to be said for being a dreamer and actually having the um, ability to visualize something that doesn't exist and then go through the process of seeing it into reality. And um, I imagine it's quite a fulfilling process. Uh, it's, a, it's a it's a trip. It's a trip to to to. To, to see a, a crummy little sketch and a, yeah. a crappy idea, and then you add to it over time, and that's the key. I reckon you don't rush things. Yeah. Like normally yeah. in practice, everything is like, okay, let's go. We're gonna hit the dealer. But with these projects, you slow cook them. They sit in, yeah. they sit in my office there in, in a book, and and I pull them out when when I think I want to add to it, and they become in their own little little folder when it becomes a project, and and the and they're slow cooked and. And um, and I think it's it's giving it the time and the patience to put it together um, is the rewarding thing. But but it is it is that little flash of an idea when you're drinking a coffee at, at yeah. eight in the morning, having that sketchbook on you that makes you feel connected and present. Um, but it's the perseverance and never fucking giving up and doing what 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 you want and not caring about what other people say. And finishing the bloody thing—that's important. Because yeah. you, if you don't you finish doing... it, it's not—it's mm. not done. And then it's putting it into the world and seeing what everyone thinks, and not giving a fuck about what they say. Do you find? Um, do you find any motivation from people? Sort of, I, I, I find quite a bit of motivation from people when they say that um, I can't do things or doubt that I can achieve something. That's really. Um, I find that quite a quite powerful motivator. <laughs> a doubt, doubt. Yeah, yeah, doubt. Everyone doubts themselves, and everyone is anxious, and and it's turning those doubts into into an action. It's it's not saying um, I'm doubtful. I'm not going to do it. It's I'm doubtful. I'm going to give this a shot and never give up t- until I'm exhausted. You know, mentally, yeah. physically, or financially, I can't build it, or whatever. But that's that's what burns. That's what burns. What's your driver? Why? Why? What are you doing? Why you do? 
It's probably because you doubt yourself and you want to prove to yourself you can fucking do it. Yeah. And um, it must be quite fulfilling sort of seeing people then living in those spaces and then that space becoming a meaningful thing, uh, I guess, in the history and the story of their family. Yeah, it becomes their life. It becomes, yeah. you know, um, how much does the environment you're in affect your well-being and, and psyche? Like, you know, I'm living in the middle of an apartment in the city, you know, Yesterday I was on Daniel's Reef under a fucking tree looking out to the surf, you know. Mm. Um, it's, yeah, architecture affects, your, affects you. Um, and, and that's the architect's role is to say, hey, what about this? But artists do it by painting, sculptors do it by sculptors. Architects it can, can design space to make you feel a certain way. Yeah. Okay. So on that note, I've actually, um, you know, I haven't done a lot of architectural design other than from when I was in primary school, but I'm going to show you the uh, designs I've got here for me buddy's sons. It actually turned up to, out to be a Lego club. Um, so, you know, all the kids are raving about these um, countdown blocks these days. Oh, eh? yeah. I've got some of those. Yeah, yeah. So this is – can you see that on your screen? Well, of course. Right? Yeah, it looks pretty good. It looks like I'm back at uni with one of the students showing me their designs. Yeah, mate. So, yo, Teach, um, this is what I came up with. Um, our uh, Yeah, most of these bits of – chunks of wood in here are just the bits off the pallets, you know, off the sides That's of it. the pallets screwed together. And um, I didn't want a leaky building, so I went for the mono-pitch roof. Yeah. Just used use corrugated iron with, um, you know, three strips with a clear one down the middle. Yeah. And um, did the three-beam thing with a couple of big windows you can see there that the kid can climb in and out of and see right through the house. Sweet. When do you want a job? You can start working with me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, I'm, uh, I'm, I should try and um, get the, 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 the after photo onto the screen because uh, the kids kid loved it. And um, the door height, uh, that front wall that you can see there is two metres high and the yeah. back one's 1. 1.5. Um, and the kid's 1.2 metres high. Yeah. Um, so there's enough room to put a little bed above the door there on a little mini loft. Yeah, get a little mezzanine in there for the little buggers. Yeah, mate. and then you can just sort of lock them in there and then the adults can be up the, the top there smoking and drinking and making noise while the kids are sort of down there um, locked away. That's it. You <laughs> take the chain away when people turn up, quickly unlock the chain. <laughs> exactly. And um, what we found quite a satisfying moment was actually sort of before anything had been built, uh, envisaging where it would sit, what angle it would sit at, and and those sorts of things that like, we found that quite enjoyable. Ah, oh, all those little things are man. Like you know, where, where's the sun? Where's north? Where's the sunrise? Yeah. Where's the wind? Where's the views? You know, these are all yeah. the things that we, um, you know, they're fixed. When you're an architect, they're on the plate already. You know. Yeah. 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 All sight, sight lines. What you can see from when you're standing in there. What you can see when you're looking down at it. Um, whether it's in the trees or whether it's in the sun. Uh, what do we got here? Okay, cool. I'm going to um, 
I'm just going to quickly email these photos to myself and then I'll try and see if I can. Oh, actually, no. I've got a question from Michelle here. Hi, Matt. Can you design houses for people in wheelchairs that give access on different levels after watching Kiwi Bake Off? I want to. I want to retreat to the countryside. Hey, I don't blame you. I want to. I want to get to Palmy on Wednesday too. I've been in Auckland for 110 days. Um, so yeah, yeah but- um, wheelchair access. Yep. So you need ramps that are at a certain gradient. You need a certain width, and you need to be able to maneuver around. Um, so definitely, um, yeah. It's just going to have lots of ramps through it, and lots of places where you can turn around in bathroom spaces that are big enough to get around wide doors, uh, obviously lower kitchen benches, lower tables, etc. But, yep, definitely you can do it, Michelle. Yep, make it happen, Michelle. Uh, she's one of our resident callers that we regularly have calling in on the show, and uh, she's a big Elvis fan, so maybe we could right. put in some sort of uh, Elvis, Elvis shrine down there in the basement with a real cool ramp, and um, that would be wild. Um. Yeah, so I'm just trying to send these things back. Maybe, maybe we'll. Uh, <laughs> let, let's see if I can just hold it up to the screen. I, I don't want to try and. Oh, yeah, this is this great. This is whole... this is high tech. This is the gen. This is what the the Gen Xs would. Those millennials. Where's those millennials? Yeah. When you need them, eh? They'd be like. Psh. Yeah, well, sometimes I think I'm a millennial, and technically I, I might even be, scarily enough, because these millennials are getting bloody old. And um, <laughs> it's these um, these Zoomers that you got to start worrying about. The Zoomers. Oh, look at that. There we go. Yeah, Hell so yeah. that's – yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that's, and a, then, that's a, on, that's a, a photograph on site. It's not a render. You didn't do a render. And... No, that's a photo of the kid standing in front of it. You can see the height. Yeah, that's great, bro. I'd live in there. I'd, I'd pay you. Yeah, well, that's I'd pay you fifty a to stay. In there. I know, bro. And that's <laughs> what he was saying. My buddy was looking, and he goes, "Hey, man, because because we can move this thing. This can be easily swung onto the back of a truck." And he was saying, um, he he just thinks, "Oh, well, why am I paying rent when there's oh, we've got yeah. this thing?" I think I think the whole you know thirty square meters you can make thirty square meters you can do now. It's great. Oh, hang on! This um, the pol- have you ever noticed that the polarization on the phone? Yes, yeah, it looks like it's dimming, but it's just polarization. Pure polar. I can see it. Looks looks good. Yeah, so I'll hold it like that. Uh, there we go. Um, get the exposure right. Oh, there we go. Oh, 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 look at that! Is that all out of pallets? Yeah, all the sidings out of pallets, mate. I put. Uh, it took a while. I, I spent days stripping pallets down by hand, um, using screwdrivers and just literally smashing the screwdriver in between the nails and the wood, and just prying them all out. And and ninety percent of the nails in that build are all recycled nails as well that right. I straightened out with the hammer and stuff. Well and done. it was all. Ha- I used a handsaw for all of it. I didn't actually use any power tools as such. Good for so the guns. The, good, good for the guns. Good eh, for brother? the guns, bro. Um, yeah, the missile would Japanese. like you after that was finished, right? She'd be like, "Jesus yeah, Christ, buddy. I want you to oh, build me. I don't want no more podcasts. I want you on the tools." I know, mate. Too many pheromones <laughs> around here, eh, bro? Uh, yeah, 
Well, that's it, eh? Like, um, it's good. I mean, tradies sort of do well, don't they? Because they're out there daily, they're on the tools, they're using their body, and as they say, if you don't uh, use it, you lose it. Tradies get the ladies, dude. Tradies get the ladies, mate. You've got to have architects to get, them off. Architects get the girls that think you're rich, and then they find out you're not, and it's too late. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Part of the image, part of the image. That's it, dude. Too many um, rom-coms, eh, with architects with plans and, and that, you know, it's been, it's been drip-fed yeah. in Hollywood for hundreds of years. Yeah, because those desks were cool, eh? They were awesome. They were the original stand-up desk before it was sort of like a, a hipster thing to do. You'd stand there. You'd have your paper. It would have these cool, like, wire things, like almost like uh, air hockey. <laughs> but you could sort of move them around, couldn't you? Yep, there's, and then they'd be tilted so low you could put a put your nice um, a bottle of whiskey there, a glass of whiskey, coffee. Right. Um, you got your cigar. Um you know, um, yeah, times have changed. Table. Times have changed. Times have changed. <laughs> um, we'll quickly get through the chat. I've sort of been um, distracted so much that we've had a huge amount of chat coming through. So we've talked about designing houses for people in wheelchairs. Um, let's just – let's go down. Uh I like that you're a fact checker. I like that you've got the title fact checker there. Um, yeah, yeah, Are you yeah. going to check any of my facts and make sure they're right? Oh, yeah. We, we've got an AI <laughs> running at the moment. We, we all trust the AI now, so it makes life easy, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Believe in the AI. Yeah, that's sort of a bit of a fun title because all these shows these days, and no matter what anyone says, there's always sort of someone disputing the truth behind it. So that's a bit oh. of a, um, a fun and fun tongue-in-cheek title there. Um, no, more time the is. no more time than now with COVID, dude. Yeah, exactly. You all know, the tinfoil can... heads are coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of fun because sometimes it's actually more um, entertaining uh, for the facts to be completely wrong and then you have to figure them out yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no better way than going down the wormhole at four in the morning and then waking up going, what the fuck was I doing? Yeah, exactly. Not sure whether um, you've been given a uh, experimental drug or nanobots. <laughs> yeah, dude. Crazy times, man. I want to see what's happening in another 20 years. I, I'm, uh, yeah. I, think, I think the last five years have been a trip, to be honest with you. Yeah, mate. Hey, I'm just, I'm um, just, I just watch life like a movie. I just sit on my couch and look out the window and – and, and I didn't need to watch no Netflix. It's like, just watch the news. Yeah, tell me about it, brother. Hey, are you happy to stay on for a little bit longer? Of course. i, I got nowhere to go. Okay, cool. I'm going to wrap up this show and then start up the other show, okay, because I'm just filling in on this on this show. We'll be right back. Thanks, Matt Liggins. Uh, if you want to know uh, more about uh, Matt Liggins and study his creations in depth, they've been uh, dutifully... I guess that's a word, isn't it? Dutifully uh, documented, categorized, and um, archived. Yeah, dude, that's my living. Um, that's my living gravestone. When I die, all my stuff's on there. There'll be a QR code right there <laughs> on the thing. People pop it up. 
an augmented reality sort of uh anyway uh that's the website down there everybody matt liggins thanks for joining us on yep. talkback with Thane and sophia and awesome. maybe we'll get you on um this show again uh, oh, yeah. but stick around we've got a whole other show coming right up and we will be right back Heck yeah, ladies and gentlemen, it's your brother Benny Mac here, and we are live uh, on the World Wide Web, broadcasting on uh, more channels than you can shake a stick at, and now uh, we have got another episode of Talking Smack with Benny Mac. Okay, we are... We are uh, broadcasting live on YouTube.com. So if you want to go over there and join the YouTube uh, channel, you can. Uh, the channel name is Benny Mac. All right. Open line talk is open hence the whole open line talk thing and i have put the link in the chat and uh boom it's there now uh, available for all of y'all uh to come on through have your conversation ask your question and we have had a big hour earlier on in the show let me just control this here and uh we have got matt liggins uh, still with us on the show, and I'm um, gonna bring him back through. Matt Liggins, um, man, oh man, that was a that was a good interview, huh? How did how did how did I do? Oh man, we I think I think we just started. I think I think I think um, I, I feel like it's all just it's all just happening again. Eh? A bit of a parallel universe of wormholes just opened up, an alternative reality, if you will, and um, it's kind of interesting on this side of the mirror. Um, everything looks back to front for some reason. Yeah, I tell you what, I tell you what, I watch a lot of podcasts and Joe Rogan, and um, I, I could definitely talk for three. It's been an hour, but I could I could definitely talk for another two. Um, Damn! Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid that I'd need to go and um, smoke some sort of huge joint uh, off camera somewhere <laughs> to be able to cope. But uh, either way, um, I'm sure I could do two and a half. Oh yeah, do I've got a I've got a bottle of Bailey's here. It's it's um it's uh it's pretty easy. Um but yeah, the the only thing I'd like to add is is that um honestly, if anyone's listening here that's at a wit's end and, and, and you know um is just thinking, um, what am I doing? I've I've had that thought and, and I, I've stuck with it. Um just because I knew I wanted to do it. And I tell you what, I tell my students that it's like, fuck, man, if it was easy, everyone would do it. And I think part of being, um, in, uh, you know, the important thing is doing what you love. I've said it before, and never giving up and just keep working and working and working. And um, hard work beats talent that doesn't work, you know. Yeah, um, that's true. And, and yeah. enjoy, enjoy what you love. Um, and if you don't enjoy it, change it and do something else and just keep turning and finding what you want to do. Um, Absolutely. Now, um, I've got a 
thumbnail that we saw of you, and it looks like you've got some sort of cybernetic eyeball. Mm. Um, what's the story behind that? I got punched by a dude um, when I was talking to a girl, and one of my eyes is 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 that colour. Um, really? No, no, that's what happened to David <laughs> Bowie. David Bowie got punched by a guy. Yeah. And, and, and one of his eyes changed colour. Um, so that photo comes from my mate, Dan Erickson. Um, Danny, Danny Boy is one of my good friends. He's from Ashurst, which is just to the east of Palmy. Um, he took that inside the Vitruvian Tunnel. And um, I don't know if you've seen the Vitruvian Tunnel. It was an artwork I did for Bright Nights, uh, which is based off Leonardo da Vinci's drawing the Vitruvian Man, which is based off okay. Vitruvian's writing about um, proportions. Anyway, the light in there bounces everywhere, and um, he did a great, great shot that just got the light in one eye, not the other eye, and um, it's been my kind of marketing photo. Oh, okay. So he managed to hit a bit of light in your eye there. Now, are your eyes two different colours? or? I wish. They're blue. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It looks like you've got a contact lens in or something along those uh, lines. I used it? to wear contacts when I was younger and more vain. I failed my driver's license in Shannon and had to wear glasses and didn't want to wear them at Pummy Boys High, so I got contacts and my eyes went bluer than normal. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, no, that's just that's, that's the art of photography. Now, um, the Vitruvian Tunnel, was it called? Yeah, Vitruvian Tunnel. It, is that is that one of your creations? Yeah, man. If it's on my website, it's me. Um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to find it here. Uh, uh, you're, you're in the architecture section. You've got to click into art. Go back okay. and click in art, and you'll see the retrieval. Oh, I see how that works. Right. Okay, so you've got architect, art here and architecture here. Depending on what one you click, it depends on where you're going to go. Okay. And I sit in the middle, I think. But, yeah, the Vitruvian. Um, okay, was, let me was... just bring this up so that everyone at home can watch. Just got a rescue helicopter overhead. Um, that should clear shortly. It's just going into the hospital. Are you in Grafton uh, somewhere? Yeah, buddy. Right there on Grafton, right next to the bridge. Um, there we go. Yeah, so the first one is the Vitruvian. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's an equilateral triangle for you. Um, I basically I added to the drawing, which was this, which was the circle, which is based on the feminine, which is the curve of your arms and your legs, centered from your um, uh, from your navel, which is the feminine, and then the male, which is the square, which is um, centered from your groin, um, which is your arm span and head height which is 1.77, which is the average height of the Kiwi male. Um, and then and then my part of history was to add a, a, a triangle, which was maybe um, which is maybe the the holy um, you know the, um, the the third part uh, which is something above um, which is the which is the triangle. So I put a triangle around them all. Um, and then I basically yeah. just just lit it up like that, as you see, and and that's it. That's my contribution uh, to history. Uh, oh, that's 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 genius. Because what's happened is it's sort of created an infinite reflection, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Yeah, so the whole thing came about when I when I did the plastic bag house. I put the polycarb 
inside with these lights and I saw this amazing sort of reflection. Yeah. And then I thought, fuck, um, that's, that's yeah. you know, I can, I can only experience it by lying on the bed. And then um, and that's why I decided to make a bigger piece. And then I, Angus Muir did all the lighting, shout out to Angus, and that's how I had to base it on a, on a, on a human purport, uh, scale and human yes. proportion. And I said, well, what's the most best scale of, of a human? It's a Vitruvian uh, man. Um, because and, um, it only makes sense that it's based on the human uh, form because that's ultimately what architecture is. It's creating a, a place for the human form comfortably exist. Yep. In its, rela- in its relationship to the proportions of the human body mm. in space. And, yeah. you know, that's what this, this work um, discusses. And, yeah, and I think it was great that you got everyone in there. The thing is with public art, it's not in an art gallery. You're not, yeah. you're not, you're not suddenly saying, okay, only certain people will feel comfortable walking through the doors and being in this space, but it's open to everyone, and and that, that that's the beauty of public art. It's yeah, it's almost like public experience, and the art just happens to be there because the experience is so cool that just by experiencing it, you become sort of um, whether you thought you would be or not, but you become an art critic. And in that moment where yeah. you're actually critical and you actually got a reaction. And it is sort of the arts communicating to you, and um, you're existing in it, and yeah, you become part of it, and and you become, you know, um, uh, object inside of it. And the interesting thing is, what do people do when they go in there? Like a lot of people wouldn't even know about this drawing, and and what becomes normal um, to to be inside. There's my girlfriend Janelle inside the plastic bag house. There's all the plastic yeah. bags. Um, that's at Kuiper Sculpture Garden. If anyone wants to go up there before mid-Feb, when it when it goes to my parents' place. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I would be quite keen to go up. That sounds awesome. Good place to have a sleep. You know, looks very peaceful. And what about this little uh, pyramid uh, yeah. that I'm looking at yeah, here? The yeah, the pyramid schema. I did it in 2016. Um, if you type in my name into YouTube and just type in Matt Liggins into YouTube, you'll see this little thing. Um, this is all about how, how tough it is to live in this world, how we feel like we're in a pyramid scheme where the people at the top are doing really well, people in the middle, are, are, you know, and the people at the bottom are struggling. And I thought, well, what can I do to cheer up people that are in the city working fucking hard just to make ends meet? And <laughs> And I thought, well, look, at least I could just give them a drawing. I could have a random conversation, find out what makes them happy in life and do a sketch and pass it out yeah. through the front mouth. And, and oh, um, okay. <laughs> so it's just a random act of kindness. It wasn't Ku Klux Klan. Um, you know, no. it wasn't a healing pyramid. It was purely a way to anonymously have a conversation with someone and give them something that was free. Um, and that makes them happy. So when they're struggling in life or they've had a bad day, they look on the fridge and they, they see what makes them happy, you know, like could be <laughs> could be could be their kids, could be their whanau, could be some food, could be um, nature, whatever. But, yeah, it's just about remembering what makes you happy in life. Oh, mate. Well, you've made us very happy tonight and we appreciate 
appreciate you for coming through and uh, some of your stories and uh, giving us some examples. Uh, it was bloody marvellous. And uh, the website, of course, is mattliggins.com. It's living, uh, your living uh, seed bank sort of thing, you know, where they lock everything away. It's a vault, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of an open vault so uh it's all there if you want to see the art just click on the art at loading screen or architecture just click on that and it'll bring you through hey cheers buddy our next guest has arrived uh so thanks for sticking around and yep. uh feel free to come on anytime brother cool cheers benny all the best no enjoy it sure. yeah cool and feel free to do anything uh, share the broadcast anywhere you need to cut it up or do what you want to do buddy Will do. I'll make myself look good. Cheers, mate. Yeah, bro. Okay, cheers. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Matt Ligon, uh, what a guy. Brilliant guest. And uh, speaking of uh, brilliant guests and special guests, our next special guest has arrived. And cue the graphics. Okay, scratch that. Cue the guest. Uh, (laughs) Welcome on board, Cindy. How are you going? Kia ora. I'm good. Bit hot. Kia ora. Welcome. It is a bit warm here. It's getting muggy, isn't it? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Had a nice swim this I morning. find it. Oh, that's the one. Yeah, I've got the outdoor shower here and that, that really doff. Uh, where did you go for a swim? Piha. Oh, beautiful out there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very nice. I know that beach well. I've worked out there a few times. I work in film and TV, so uh, right. I've had the luxury of working out on the beach there, doing some production work, and, um, and uh, yeah. Uh, Black really Sand nice. Beach, you know, going out there early morning with a mm-hmm. dog, although she took off after some rabbits, so that was a bit difficult. I lost the dog for a while, but... Um, but yeah, so it was just just every morning walking on the Black Sand Beach. It's like you know, it's why I live. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yes, yeah, exactly, and it and it gives you so much, um, isn't it? Just yeah, the roaring is that sort of yeah. There's can you hear the about, waves from your house? Yeah, you can when it's um when it's on shore. Yeah, yeah, you can. But um, yeah. there's something about putting yeah. your head under once. You you can go and paddle in the waves, but if, once you put your head under, it's a yeah. whole different level of zen. It's just there's something, and you just go to a different level. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, I'm a West Coaster through and through. Um, born at Waitakere Hospital, Lincoln Road. Ah, there, there you, uh, go. Uh, you know, and um, <laughs> learned to swim down at Henderson Pools, and um, learned not to drown. Uh, out at the West Coast beaches, yeah. between the flags, read the waves, all those sorts of things. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some nasty rips out there this year, actually. Really bad rips at Karikari. It's a really nasty one going right along the beach. Really strong. Okay. So that, that's something to watch out for, guys. Always keep a good eye on um, not only your kids, but also uh, big kids as well, because anyone can yeah. get into trouble. I think there's um, Eddie Vedder or something got into a bit of strife out there back in the day, I think legend has it. And um, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, um, so Cindy, you're joining us from uh, a, a organisation, uh, NOCASM, is that right? That's right, Kiwis Against Seabed Mining. Okay, and we've got the windscreen here. 
kasm.org.nz. And um, yeah, so maybe we could get you to um, sort of a bit of an introduction into uh, sort of what the, the, I guess, the founding philosophies are and, um, and what your mission statement or your goals are. Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, uh, wait, uh, CASM started when the foreshore and seabed legislation came in because people could okay. see the writing on the wall that all these old, that all these companies were starting to line up, and so the government yeah. actually had to change some legislation in order to be able to open up the seabed. Um, and so this was back in about 2005, I think. It was quite a long time, well before I, I came on board. But um, Kiwis, Kiwis um, Against Seabed Mining was joined, it was started then because people could see that the potential of these of these um, these companies wanting to mine, pretty much the first thing they've been going after is the, um, is the, um, the iron sands, which go back, yes. which, which, which have come from volcanic, Eruptions come down the rivers, and um, and have um, and, um, and 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 out along along the coast. Um, so um, it's been um, and so basically they started raising awareness. We started raising awareness. They were you know holding meetings all down the west coast and yeah. um, of the North Island, and you know talking to you know because there's no big cities on the west coast of the North Island. I think Fongano is the biggest city. Fongano and New Plymouth yeah, are the right. biggest cities, but and so a lot of small communities. People who love their ocean, they love the beaches, they, mm. you know, and um, and they love their surf breaks, their fishing, their you know all the things that you know we yeah. all take for granted as Kiwis. So, um, and then along came the first application in um, twenty twelve. It was um, Trans Tasman Resources started. Um, um, put in an application under this new legislation that the national government had brought in um, to mine to mine the iron sands off the the seabed of the South Taranaki Bight, um, digging up fifty million tons a year every year for thirty five years. Wow! If you can okay, imagine, so... in a sixty six square kilometer chunk of the, yeah. Well, I think that, um, I mean, it's very clear, Kiwis against seabed mining. Um, a lot of people um, may start thinking seabed and deep sea fishing, completely different thing. Yeah. Uh, completely different resource. So totally. that's something to yeah. be uh, super clear about. Yeah. Even though it says it in the, in the title, mining, um, you know, I think it's the mind like, automatically goes to images of trawler nets and no, no, uh, no. activists well, throwing big get, rocks in. <laughs> people also get confused with um, with um, deep sea drilling for oil, which is different yeah. again. But if you yeah. imagine, can you imagine a 66 square kilometre chunk of land being open cast mine? Just open cast, just like oh you know, just God. the whole. But you imagine on the land, you wouldn't be allowed to get away with it. Well, you know, basically they they wanted to do this um in the ocean, and so yeah. and so they set up this hearing, and so we had um we actually got something like four and a half thousand submissions against it, which was the record that the Environmental Protection Agency had ever had for anything. Wow. Um, yeah. And um, anyway, they basically they couldn't. You know, it, it, but what happens is that they, they have this big ship 
200 meter big great big ship yeah. comes comes along and it has these big digger things that go along and they dig up they dig up a chunk of um, the seabed suck it yeah. up onto the boat take out about 5% of it which is the iron sands and vandanium and titanium and all that sort of stuff and then dump the rest of it back on the ocean floor yeah so yeah, that yeah, yeah. so that basically creates dead zones on the ocean right. floor and it also hangs all the sediment in the water column and so yes. this is where the krill go this is where you know this is where you know, this is sort of, you know, basically it just was great big cloud. And they didn't know. They had no idea how big this thing was going to be. They call it the plume. So it depends on the ocean currents, but how big this plume would be, how long it would almost, last, how far yeah, it would it almost, spread. Yeah, interesting you say that. You're calling it a plume. It almost reminds me of um, nuclear fallout uh, yeah. in America, which happened, and there's a prevailing wind and the fallout was basically dragged right across the country. Exactly. And then yeah. it, it started yeah. showing up in strange places like um, on Kodak. Yeah. Um, photographic paper would show blotches oh, of this yeah, nuclear right. fallout too, on the yeah. other side of the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sort of similar yeah. to what you're saying, as soon yeah. as you're dumping it, it's basically cre uh, mystifying and creating this plume that, that could go Yeah. So they were dig so they wanted to dig up fifty million tons of the seabed a year and they would dump 40, 45 million tons back down onto the ocean floor. So um so and they and you know and and and, and um five million tons would they take off and ship it off to Asia to make steel with. Um so that so we basically so but they didn't they didn't even have any baseline data. They hadn't done the work, they didn't know what was there. I had no idea what was a. They, did, they, had right. the, they had the CEO saying, "Oh, it's just a desert." And we go, "Okay, well, what's where's your data?" And they didn't have any. They hadn't even done. Right. I mean, so if you're gonna if you're gonna argue that there's no effect on anything and you're gonna monitor the effect, you need to know what's there in the first place, right? Absolutely. So, so basically, at the end of that whole big process, this the EPA they they set up a decision making committee. Anyway, the committee said, "Nah, go away, do your homework." That's you're not getting consent for this. They had the right. marine marine discharge consent. Anyway, so they said, nope, can't do it. It's just you know we just it, as as I think one of their people said in the hearing, they said the uncertainty of the the uncertainty of the uncertainty is uncertain. <laughs> I was like, yep, that's very true. Nobody <laughs> bloody knows anything about it, and yeah. you don't know the effect on the seabirds, on the Maui dolphins, if there's any left down there, um, on the on the Korora. The 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 little blue penguins, you know, all the things yeah. that live down there, and so we saw that off. They said nope, and we won that case, which was amazing. And then along came another one, um, Chatham Rock Phosphate. They wanted to dig up the seabed off the Chatham Rise, off off Christchurch, you know, so, uh, out near the right. Chatham Islands, to get phosphate off okay. the, off off the ground. This was fifteen hundred meters deep, really, really deep, big deep sea mine. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so basically, we saw that lot off as well. Basically, we said no. Nope. Wow! And so then, Trans Tasman Resources, we we call them TTR. They came back for a yeah. second go, and the only thing they changed, the only thing that they had done, was lobby the national government to change the makeup of the EPA, to change 
to change the way that they just did a whole lot of politics. They did a little bit of modeling. Right. Um, yeah, of okay. the plume. They did some modeling and we've done, but basically what they did when they put in the application, they, um, they, in, in, for the modeling, they managed to get the EPA to agree to have that redacted. It all blacked out because it was commercially sensitive. Yeah. So we had to go in the environment court to get, to get that unredacted so that we could actually see what they were doing so we could actually submit on it. Anyway, yeah. at, this, at this point, I should say we, we won. Kiwis Against Seabed Mining, we got um, the yeah. local iwi on board. We had um, Ngāti Rūnui and Nararu. Ngāti Rūnui, Debbie Narurapaka was head of that at that point, and she okay. she led the charge from from the um, iwi side. And we also had tallies, um, sea lords, um, Tauhu Kamoana, the big fish, all the big fishing companies. Uh-huh. And and all the and um and forest and bird and the and the conservation mm. board and all these you know unlikely bedfellows. I mean, tallies are not <laughs> the most environmentally, but they could see yeah, the impact on the they fish. Could, yeah, they exactly. The impact exactly. On the fish. And yep. the really and the really interesting thing around that was um, during that time. Um, there was this um, researcher that we had that, that we'd been in touch with, and she was starting to research the blue whale population in the in the South Taranaki yeah. Bight. And we tried to get her on the stand, but she was working for NIWA at the time, uh, which is our Crown Research Institute. And um, mm-hmm. they, but of course, they have to do this commercial stuff, so they were actually working for the working for the company. So they, the the whole, they all did they did their darndest to stop her getting onto the stand to talk about the blue whales. Anyway, right. so fast forward two years later, when they came back for the second round, we were much more prepared this time. We got thirteen and a half thousand um, submissions against it this time, wow. and, and ten in support. Ten, <laughs> <laughs> and that was all the big companies, you know, and um, right. and it was amazing. But but we also had um, Lee Torres, this this researcher. She this is in her third year of doing the research on the whales, and she came in, she came in off off the research vessel, and was the last day of the hearings. And she came in, and she basically said, she said, we have seen sixty eight separate whales in this in this year's expedition and basically went on to say that what and, and what we've now she's now established is that we have our own population of pygmy blue whales living in the south taranaki bite which is absolutely amazing but they wow. feed off they feed off the krill they feed off yeah. you know all of that stuff so anyway so we went through this whole big hearing again it was just you know it was just it was extraordinary but this time they they really pulled back on the submissions and and they only had hearings in two places whereas the first time they'd gone they came up to Hamilton because Chasm's mostly based out of Raglan um they've been to Hamilton they had them in New Plymouth they had them on the Marae they had hearings you know so that people could actually get up and speak but they only did right. New Plymouth this time they, this time round they only did New Plymouth and Wellington right. and um they had a business friendly chair um, of this committee making the decisions, and they only had four people on the committee, which is was interesting because basically they gave them the green light. They said in 2017, they said, "Yep, you can do it. We'll give you con- the EPA gives you consent. We give you the green light for doing this with 109 conditions. It's like you know on the seabirds, all, all, all which were all basically around the uncertainty of the impacts because they had no idea." And the first yeah. thing the company would have to do would be to go out and spend 
and spent um, two years actually getting that baseline data, which was the thing that got thrown up for right. in the first place. Anyway, so we, um, I mean, uh, there's been a very long process and it's gone on forever. So, you know, at that point it was, it was one of the worst days of my life. You know, it was like they got the green light yeah. and everyone was shocked and horrified. But basically these four, ch- these four people on the committee, the two pro-business people, including the chair, the chair was given a casting vote. So he was able to get it over the line. He was with his casting vote, which is just a terrible thing to do. But anyway, um, so we took him to the High Court and we won. And we won. And then they appealed it to the Court of Appeal and we won. Superb. Then they appealed it to the Supreme Court and we won. And that was earlier this year. So we so we won it in the Supreme Court. But can you believe it? They are still wanting to come back. The Supreme Court said, "Well, it's got to go back to the EPA to look look at the decision in light of the um in light of, you know, our uh, um, in, in in light of the information that they've given." So we're yeah. having to go back to court. I'm just like, seriously, it's just unbel- You know, we've had enough. How many no's do you need? Look, it's yeah. no, no, no. High Court, Court of Appeal, Supreme Court. 13,500 people, all the fishing industry, all the Maori, we're, we're, we're sick of it. We're over it. And so yeah. we're, now, we're now calling for a ban on CB mining. We want the government to just go ahead and ban it. It's ridiculous. We yeah. don't, I mean, you know, it's cost us thousands of dollars. Is this um, the same old story of what New Zealand uh, seems to be doing is basically um, destroying our country's resources uh, and we keep maybe – Five percent of what we make, mm-hmm. and and the rest just goes offshore, and we're yeah. pretty much either yeah. feeding the world or we're building the world uh, yeah. at, at our own detriment, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this this is an international. Um, what's a They say it's a whole, um, a majority New Zealand-owned company, but they basically brought in a third of the shares from the Netherlands three weeks before the first application, so that they could say it was a New Zealand-owned company. It's just not. Um, so, um, so yeah, so we would get, I think, something like 2% royalties. And that's very strange, isn't it? And it, so it, few it, jobs. Right, yeah. So they're bringing their own specialists in. They're running their own organisation. They're flying, they're flying in the experts. The profits. It's all offshore. There might be a helipad and there might be a helipad in South Taranaki, a few cleaning and catering jobs. That's it. Because they don't have the expertise in Taranaki anyway. Mm. So they, you yeah, know, it's, it's, it's there's no local jobs. So yeah. yeah, it's all ridiculous, and so we think it's time that they, that, you know, that we that that we banned it and we just like stop, just enough. Yeah, we've all had yeah. far too. We've all been fighting this for far too long, and we keep winning. And they keep saying there's not enough certainty. You don't know the environmental impacts. The Supreme Court said there's an environmental bottom line here which cannot be crossed. You cannot cause that sort of damage to the environment unless you can prove that you can fix it. And, of course, they can't prove that. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, very strange. I mean, the, the even the very thought that it could be fixed is in itself an oxymoron. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you're stripping out half of the core minerals uh, from the very product that you're supposedly fixing, then you're only putting half of it back. And it sort of seems like a very careless manner, almost sort of like throwing trash into the wind. Yeah. Totally. And, um, you know, and this is out in the South Taranaki Bight. Now, there's more. This is a 66 square kilometre area. There's actually um, a much bigger 
area next to it, which they've got to explorate, 635 square kilometres, which they want to do it there if they get this one across the line. It's just, wow. it's, it's just not, yeah, um, no, you know, and we shouldn't do uh, it. Yeah. Now, um, we were just talking about before about what the um, sort of who's profiting in this on, in New Zealand side. Are, the, are, are there these lobbyists that are being paid off or? Not really. No, I mean, they've got, they, they're certainly working very closely with this um, mining lobby group called Stratera who've been helping them lobby the government. But, um, you know, I think, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no, not so much. I mean, they're, they're just a tiny company. They don't, they're a shell company. They don't really have any money. They've only formed for this. It's not like, I mean, right. these guys came in and they they, they were the test case. Um, you know, when the first thing, from the application in 2012, we had company with um, permits and seabed mining right down the coast, the west coast, and right down the west coast of the entire country, basically. And I mean, off Piha, there was Rio Tinto. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is this predominantly uh, iron uh, that they're mining for? You mentioned was it potassium well, or something? No, it's um, <clears throat> that's a very interesting thing. Actually, it's the iron sands they say they want, but in those iron sands are titanium and vanadium and a whole bunch of precious heavy metals right. that are worth billions. But of course, they're yeah. only telling the government. Lithium as well, maybe. Mm, yeah, maybe. Oh, but they're only telling water, the, they're I only think. telling the government they're only telling the government they want the iron sand because the iron sand's the cheapest, so that's all we'd get royalties right. for. But then they take it off to right. Hong Kong and they pull out all the other stuff and make billions off it. So oh my God. you know, yeah. it's um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, that was hard. It's sort of hard because it's not really an argument against it for us because. If we sort of start talking, you know, about how much it's actually really worth, then the government would be much more interested, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what they realise what a resource yeah. it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you don't sort of want to – yeah, I see what you're saying. But if you get closer, if you bring that stuff, if you bring that mining closer to shore, then you, you fuck up, excuse my language, or the surf breaks – you know, yep. and you get all sorts of problems with the beaches and the reefs and, you know, the whole all the, the whole the whole of the the bite, you know, it's it's just it's already got enough pollution out there with all the oil drilling and all the rest of it and all the sediment coming off the rivers. You don't want to do yep. any more damage to it. Now, is this a how far offshore is this um location that you're mentioning the um was it the Taranaki the New Plymouth bite? Yeah, the South Taranaki Bike. So the ta South Taranaki Bike goes from New Plymouth right down Whanganui and then down to, to Wellington. It's that big chunk under New Plymouth. Um, right. it's, it's out beyond. It's on the edge of the 12-mile zone, 12 nautical miles offshore. I don't, don't ask me how. Right. So they're, they're so basically is, they're trying to – but they're as close as they can be. Well, they're, they're trying to do it on that – come here. Sorry, I just got this dog. Come that's all right. Yeah. We had a cat on the show last night. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, she. Um, I had. I was on a meeting earlier, and she and I only had half eaten my dinner. I, who knew dogs liked curried cauliflower? But she ate the rest of my dinner behind my back before I could see it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, funny, aren't they? <laughs> they're, they're very funny. But no, dogs apparently like curry cauliflower. But um, who knew injectees? <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was I. Um, yeah, no, they were because the legislation, the completely different legislation if they come into the 12-mile limit, which is yeah. the 12-mile, they have to, 
they'd never get it in there because of the, no. you know, because of all that, you know, it's much more difficult because the legislation is much stronger and it's much closer to shore and there's more arguments against it. So they were trying to get their test case out and out and sort of out further beyond that 12-mile limit. That, right. You know, that sort of... Yeah. You, now, is this a silly question? Um, no question, silly. Is there any... Um, is there any sort of negotiable position where they could carry out this operation? No. Um, it has to happen. Under this legislation, you have to get them. I mean, New Zealand minerals that, you know, the New Zealand MB and, you know, the, the government dishes out mining licenses left, right and centre, right, which yeah. is awful. And that should not be the case. But and so it gives them gives the mining company right to go and explore and if they get the – Resource, then they can negotiate with the government. But they, for this activity, they they need a marine discharge license. That's the yeah. environmental stamp of approval that they need to be able to do that. So they can't go and negotiate. Not under this legislation. I mean, I think they're trying to drag it on long enough that they get a national government back in who's going to change the legislation and make it easier for them. But I mean, it's interesting because this is just. I mean, it's a very new industry, this seabed mining thing, and it's just in its infancy globally. Okay. There's another big thing happening. There's there's a big thing happening offshore, um, um, off in the Pacific, which is on a mega scale. Which is um, right. there's a big fight going on at the moment. This it's called the Clarion Clipperton Zone, and it it stretches four and a half thousand kilometres across the Pacific, and those. It's been the the rights to mine have been given to all these different companies going right across. It's it's, it's mm. the same width as the US. It goes from Kiribati to Mexico. That's horrifying. It's horrifying. So that's yeah. kind of um, I guess I guess that's kind of the situation where out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. So they can sort of push this through, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, out exactly. there in the international waters, so that yeah. no one can really oppose it. That's right. Well, there's an international seabed authority, which is apparently, which is in the process of developing regulations, mm. but it's very pro-mining. And so we're calling on the New Zealand government to actually get in there and actually, because we've got the experience. We're the only country that's actually put this, anything like this through anything like um, a microscope to look at the the potential environmental impact. And it's come up wanting, you know, our Supreme Court says it's, it's like it, it, it shouldn't go ahead, basically. So, you know, so we think the New Zealand government should take our experience to the international stage, but they're being really reticent about it. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to sort of cause a fuss. Yeah. You know, oh, come on. This is, you know, we're, you know, we're supposed to be sort of, we do things like nuclear-free. We can do this. And so we yeah. want the government to lead a call for a moratorium internationally as well. Yeah, New Zealand used to, I, I get the feeling that you, New Zealand used to be almost like a bit of a rebel nation where they would um, make strong political points and statements and stand by them. And, um, y yeah. and now it, it seems as if we're in a position where we have to double think everything we say, everything's about international relations and we well, don't yeah. say a, a, a thing wrong about anyone. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think what's going on actually is that, you know, the the, the thing is is that we've got a very a neoliberal government departments, especially the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, 
And I've seen as I work on climate change as well, and you, I've seen it in climate, and I've seen it like you know the the government departments are way too strong, and um, they don't have you know they you know you've got you need a very very strong minister, government minister, to be able to actually stop and say no because you know the minister's new, the government changes, um, yeah. and you know Jeanette Fitzsimons, who I used to work with very closely, she said you know when there's a new minister, your opportunity for getting them to do something radical as an activist, you know, or, you know, a lobby of environmentalists or whatever is within yep. the first year. After that, they've right. been, ca- after that, they've been captured by the government department. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to lose their job. And if they do anything that make, that's too bold in the first year, yeah. it could potentially cost them their position. Well, now, yeah, um, exactly. Now, interesting what you were saying about this um, extensive um, mining strip that's been granted permission out there in the Pacific, was it? Yeah, right across the Pacific. It's just unbelievable. It's huge. I've got my arms like spread out here, but it's massive. Yeah. So, um, as with international travel, so too for uh, both land and sky, there's these sort of uh, the way that the ocean flows and jet streams and things like that. Um, has there been any modelling happening no. that may suggest where these blooms are going to go and things like uh, plumes and things like this? No, there's been no, there's been nothing like that. That's the problem. There's been no, they have even less idea than the company had here about what's on the bottom. Well, we do know, we know that every time anyone goes down to these really, because they're about four miles deep, you know, they're, they're you know, four Ks deep. They're really, really deep. But down there, the incredible stuff that takes millions of years to grow. And, yeah. you know, and also carbon is pulled down into the ocean, sucked out of the atmosphere and stored in the bottom of the ocean. So there's a climate aspect to it as well. But, you know, so you, you know those, weird deep sea creatures you know the ones with the lights those ones yeah. with the big lamps and stuff and all those yeah. sort of things live down there and and the, their purpose in life we don't really know enough about them at the moment we've no idea but what we do know is that they grow so slowly that if you rip it all up with these great big diggers it's all that's yeah. it it's not going to recover no. Yeah. Horrifying. Yeah, I know it's all very depressing, isn't it? But we reckon yeah, but I mean, we reckon we can get a ban. We reckon that, you know, if we get enough people and there's a um there's a petition to sign it, which you can see on our website or our Facebook page. We've got yeah, Kiwis cool. Against Seabed Mining Facebook page. That's where we're much more active actually is on the Facebook page. Um so uh, the can't see yeah. Well, there's no, I can't see the petition. We should have that on the front page, to be honest. But we're just building a new website at the moment. Um, yeah, cool. But, um, um, but uh, there's a petition that you can sign. Kiwis against the yeah yeah the Facebook page is the one to go for. If you go down, if you scroll down and go onto the Facebook, anyway, go on there and have a look. Um, and um, you can sign you can sign this um, you can sign this petition and like us on Facebook and um, and then and then catch up with stuff there. That and that video actually that you just scrolled through, that one there, whoop, whoop, back, back, yep. back up there. That one yep. is on our Facebook page. That is the most amazing video. That that is all about that will have all amazing images of all these beautiful deep sea creatures and stuff. It's just beautiful. It's a really good video to watch. It's it's worth it's worth looking at because it'll it shows you exactly how it would be destroyed. And you know, to have that going you know, right across the Pacific. You imagine, I mean, the pelagic, you know, those species that go for thousands of miles, the great big sharks and the whales and, you know, and how, all of that. 
It's it's nuts. It's just because it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, I mean, in Japan, when the Fukushima um, nuclear power plant had their meltdown, you know, within days we were getting these sort of modelling reports of whether we might be uh, seeing sort of fallout uh, coming down here, and and then there's yeah, all well, we haven't seen of- that yet, actually, but. Um- they're about to start releasing contaminated water, thousands of tons of it from Fukushima, and that is about to be released into the ocean to go across the Pacific. The big, yeah. what we were worried about then hadn't really happened yet. It's going to start yeah. happening soon. Sorry, just yeah. being on a different subject completely, but yeah, yeah it's the same yeah. thing. But you don't want all these plumes, all this, all this, you know, the ocean, cloudy ocean, instead of those beautiful blue depths and. You know, but it's it's extraordinary what we, and they and and they all try and hide behind it and say, well, we need this precious metals for for the car industry because our electric mm. cars need them. But already there's there's companies like BMW, I think, who've vowed to have clean metals and not take anything from seabed mining. So there's a huge yeah. global campaign going on about that, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's shocking. It's shocking, really. And uh, as you say, all these heavy, heavy metals are um, uh, being dragged out of the earth, slammed into these devices, yeah. and then these devices are only good for sort of twelve months. But, but, but by the time you sort I of um, so much tra- waste. trash them, and yeah, yeah. So it's but, um, you know, I, I, I'm quite keen on blue whales and little penguins, really. Yeah, quite right. Uh, Did you hear about the little um, penguin that was found um, down the line? I think it was on the west coast. Yes. Uh, just in the last couple of days. Yeah, that was, quite that was beautiful. Yeah, that was a nice story. Yeah. That was my friend Jerry McSweeney, actually. He he picked it up and rescued it, put it in his backpack and got it off to the rescue centre and it all got patched up nicely and was released. It's all very happy. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. rescued on mountain bike if I uh, – Yeah, that's right. He went down on his bike. <laughs> and put it in his backpack. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's, great. Um, it's quite interesting. I mean, you know, these birds are at, at some levels can be quite robust. I mean, they they are um, these ocean dwelling birds that sort of jump up onto the rocks and get battered by big waves. But just much, much like us, we can also be quite fragile, can't yeah, we? If our totally. environment's not quite right. Yeah, exactly. And those wee penguins are. You know, no one quite knows how far out they go to feed and what they mm. feed on and, and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. It's just, anyway, it's, just, it's, yeah. it's a mess. Yeah, and we're even talking to our um, our previous caller there, Matt Liggins, and he was talking about um, living and um, spending time in the central North Island there around um, Palmy North, I think he was saying. Yeah. And uh, living on a on a farm there, and he would um, catch trout and eels in the little stream there. Oh, lovely, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, these eels go all the way up to Tonga. It's yeah, part amazing. Of their, it's part, <laughs> yeah, no rara Tonga, I think. Amazing, yeah. So you know, we're all connected, and the oceans yeah, are all connected. Exactly. So those eels would might have to go through this cloudy water of the plume of the seabed mining now. Would that would that put off their navigation? What about all the noise? Would that put them off? Would they make it to Katonga? We don't know. So this is just a huge amount of unknown that we you know that yeah. we don't know about what's going on in the ocean. Yeah, absolutely. What we do know is we uh, need to protect it. <laughs> yeah, so people should go to your Facebook page. Yeah, go to the Facebook page. Sign, sign up. up. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And 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 cool. sign the petition. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And sort of, um, how, how is your organisation structured? I mean, do you have a president? Do you have uh, <laughs> We've you know? got a tiny committee? I'm chair of the committee. Um, okay. And um, we've got five or six six of us, and we're all volunteers. Yeah. And um, we none of us get paid, and um, we just do it all in our spare time, basically, um, okay. as much as so, we can. Um, so, so have you got a place where people can donate and, yeah, and help with? Yeah, that's on our website. You can donate from the website. But really, we, we really need to get everybody out there, if you're going to do anything, is to sign that petition and share it and um, and make sure that many people sign it as possible. Because we're working quite closely with Greenpeace as well. We've been sort of right next door with Greenpeace the whole way through this process. And, um, and oh, come. What's your dog's name? Pearl. Pearl. Hey, Pearl. Oh, lovely. She's a she's, a, she's a mad collie, and she gets all yeah. wound up when I'm on a Zoom call. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, she's sick and of it. Sort of, I mean, the pearls are sort of an interesting thing. They're uh, yeah. um, created by an irritation, aren't they? A beautiful pearl. Yeah, she's an irritation. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful irritation. She's funny. She gets me out every morning. She she wants to chase seagulls, but she's not allowed. She wants to round them all up like a good collie does. <laughs> you see that story the other day? With, is that story the other day where they've employed all these uh, rescue collie dogs um, at the um, um, to, to see off the seagulls around the opera house, all the restaurants outside, all the seagulls have been a nasty pest. So they've got all these all these border collies running around chasing oh seagulls God. and keeping them away from the restaurants. They're doing a really good job and doing it perfectly. But some of them get over-enthusiastic and end up going off wharves and things, so they have to have little life jackets on. But they're... <laughs> Uh, oh, that sounds story. cool. It's very yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting the sort of techniques that they implore to um, to keep birds from from resting. I think I saw it. Well, no, it's like jumping on the tables and taking food off people's plates. I know, I but, know. It's a, it's but a, not with uh, the border collies. The border collies are on the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's cool. I mean, they've got these sort of people that. Um, Use um, birds of prey at trash sites and stadiums oh, yeah, and things yeah, like yeah. this they to, do, to, to keep problem birds away. And they use um, Carrera, which is our native falcon, um, down in the um, in the Wairarapa to keep all the little birds, all the small birds and sparrows and stuff, away from the grapevines. Oh, brilliant! That's a re- really interesting yeah. natural way to do it. Yeah, and um, you know, I mean, not so good for the sparrows. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I mean, um, bloody sparrows. Um, there's a there's a heck of a lot of them, and they they really get into it. And um, yeah. you know, depending on where they roost, they can make a heck of a mess. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, the alternative is letting off these um, shotgun shells every five minutes, isn't it? Well, exactly. Why do you know if you can have shotguns or carrera? I mean, you know, they're beautiful birds. Beautiful birds. Yeah. Yeah, and they're also using lasers down there. Have you heard about them using no, lasers? Not about lasers. Grapevines? No. Oh yeah, they do. They have kind of um, lasers mounted to um, solar panels with um, like a security camera style scanners. So it'll just sort of dance lasers all around the the oh, really? grapevine. Yeah, yeah amazing. The birds from landing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no Excellent. All about it if you get hit in the eye with one of them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm. 
Okay. Well, um, we're just sort of coming up to the end of the show. We finish up at around 11-ish. Cool. And, um, well, nice to chat. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you for coming in here and sharing your story. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that I've driven around the West Coast for a long time and seen uh, chasm yeah, uh, signboards on lampposts and things like that, right? Yeah, 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 signs. yeah. yeah. and they, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had a big storyboard coming into Piha. We've done it a couple of times. Um, where you're driving around the corner and you, and, and you and you have a you know black and white sign with one message, and then you come around the corner and it tells a story as you come yeah. in. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, very creative. But we've got one of the directors of the company who's got a batch at Piha, so I think it's him that keeps taking them down. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, that's it. There's always going to be funny. someone, isn't there? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Anyway, great. Well, nice to chat to you. And, um, yeah, if everyone can just literally go to the Facebook page and get that petition up and get all your friends and family to sign it, that's the best thing to do. Yeah, cool. And we've got that on the screen now. It's facebook.com forward slash chasm.org.nz. And uh, get on there, share it out, share the message. Everyone knows the the whole story. And watch that video too. It's so beautiful. The deep sea mining video. It's fantastic. I love um, snorkeling. I love diving. And um, I went over to Samoa a few years ago and – one of their coral reefs had actually been uh, destroyed by a big tsunami that they'd had. Oh, wow. Um, and they'd actually – we stayed at the um, the, the, the Fales where um, the chil- a few of the children had actually been lost. Oh, uh, no, to the so sad. Very sad. And, yeah. and just sort of swimming out over the reef, it used to be a beautiful, vibrant, alive reef. And um, after the tsunami going out there, it was all broken and browned and, um, you know, very little sea life. And just those sort of um, visions um, sort of make me think of what you're talking about here with the seabed mining. It's sort of a destruction of the natural ground and it's not a natural thing. No, no, it's just digging. I'm just creating dead zones on the seafloor, but I'd rather have the whales. I would too. Okay, thank you so much, Cindy. Okay, cheers. Awesome, you take care, okay? Okay, you too. Thank you. Okay, superb. We've had some awesome guests tonight, uh, Matt and Cindy. And, uh, man, what a big show. I'm just going to go over to the chat and see if there's anything uh, in the chat. Looks like there's a whole lot. Um, the, the Yeah, the sneaky rats are sneaking up. Loads of titanium, and um, I mean, what a big, what a big broadcast! I'm going to bring in our uh, producer into the chat, and uh, here we go, Selena Spain. Uh, do you hear me? Yeah. Hi. Hey, how you going? Oh, good, good. Go. I'm in a different position in the house, so. Uh... I got this. Oh, good. Ooh. You've got one of those sort of um, multi light sort of scenarios there. Yeah, it's a gorgeous lamp. It's got one, two, three, four, five. So, like five these tulip type attachments. Total bargain. I got it like three or three years ago. Um, so cheap. You don't even want to know how cheap it was, but it was, it's a totally quality. Even Elon Musk, he had one in one of his live streams. Like, he had a lamp really similar, so it makes you feel kind of maybe a little bit 
cool. Wow, a very high tech light. Um, maybe yeah. it's sort of um, got some sort of AI built into it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Open and closed. Yeah. Mad thing indeed. Elon Musk, um, man, oh man, he probably needs to sort of. Uh, He's probably part of the problem, isn't he? Trying to scrape all the sort of heavy metals out of the seabed. Yeah, well, he had a recent comment about civilization just getting totally doomed, didn't he? Absolutely. And uh, I think a a lot of people have been feeling that way about civilization for quite a while. And, um, I mean, no matter what they throw at us, we all seem to sort of – keep going don't we the, the, yeah, the, the, most of us it's just someone said one time I don't know said, tough times don't last but tough people do and that's it that's it uh, you know when people tell you to harden up um, they're not just saying it uh but I mean, hey, it's it's always important to have a little bit of the uh, divine masculine and the divine feminine, as they say. Uh, uh, Matt sort of given us a bit of an insight oh, into well, the, did you? Hey, hey, I just got some amazing feedback. He loved you, and you loved him, and I was just like, oh my god, you guys are like two peas in a pod, and uh, I mean, it's totally cool oh, for me mate. because yeah, I mean, well. I don't know what to say. I, yeah, amazing. Oh, good guy, good guy. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, uh, flashbacks to high school. And, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, he's not a musician as well, is he? He's not a uh, DJ or anything um, like that. No, I don't think he's DJed. No, 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 no. Oh, cool. Well, that's pretty cool. I thought that was pretty cool that he was um, building a house for his art teacher. I wonder if he's still on the line. I might just quickly check. Yeah. Oh no. He Yo, wasn't. Um, he wasn't man, awake still, before. Are you on the line there, brother? Possibly not. But um, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, your teacher teaches you how to do the art. You learn the art. Then your teacher says, "Oh, now you've learned how to do the yeah. art. I want to yeah. pay you to do the art." So it's sort of he's gone full circle there. That's pretty he, cool. He says he told me, Benny was rad. Oh, awesome! He, he I appreciate that. that. And he said yeah. it was so much fun. So, um, yeah, it was good. It was very chilled. Yeah. It was a bit yeah. uh, off the cuff interview there. I yeah. uh, wasn't expecting the double banger. I don't know I if know. I even. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you checked your messages. Yeah. Don't yeah, worry. Well, I don't know if I obviously, you. Yeah, totally, totally. Just you can do this with your eyes closed. So don't worry. About it. So, uh, yeah, 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 we had two amazing guests, Cindy. Oh, wow. So knowledgeable and she's all taught us a lot. I'll be listening to that, re-listening, so I can totally absorb it in the daytime. That's the one. Okay, well, don't stay up all night, Selena. And we've we've had a few no, reports. Wait. You've been you've been staying up all night. You've been you've been over reports. Yeah, yeah. We've we've had, yeah. we've actually had a call from um, <laughs> what was it? The mental health unit, oh. and they said that you've been overdoing <laughs> yourself a little yeah, bit. You need to take yeah, a rest. Yeah. They said have no, next no. week off, and maybe have the week after that off too. Yeah, well, and, yeah. Uh, I've been like overworked, overwrought. What's the other word? Yeah, one of those over ones. But um, Overcooked. Well, we, yeah. It's almost like we left you on the barbie for just a little bit too long, but don't worry, we're going to um, whip you off the flame there 
and uh, put you on the bread. <laughs> All right. But yeah, yeah, I got some good news today, so that's a little bit of ammunition for me. Yeah. And it, it, oh, good. That's what we like to hear. Good news is always good, mm-hmm. and uh, we're gonna we're gonna finish the show up on that note. Thanks for joining us, Selena Spain, and organising the guests. Uh, thanks to Matt and Cindy Seabed Mining in New Zealand. It's unacceptable. Uh, help us shut it down, uh, and much in the way that I'm about to shut the show down. Uh, if you haven't subscribed uh, on YouTube, go over and type in Benny Mac and look for the channel and subscribe to that channel. Uh, you've been watching another episode of Talking Smack with Benny Mac. <laughs>